Access Pro Rata, where we take just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. Presented by Bridge Bank. Be safe. Venture wisely. I'm Dan Mac. On today's show, private equity goes to court in the year's biggest retail bankruptcy. But first, the sorry state of small business. So this morning, we learned that nearly 3 million Americans filed for unemployment last week, which brings the two-month total to a staggering Great Depression-level 36.5 million people. But the reality is that those numbers are probably even worse because they often fail to include the tens of millions of small businesses without any employees, sole proprietorships, or small family shops. Overall, around half of U.S. small business only had an average of 15 days of cash buffer before the pandemic just two weeks. That's according to research from the JP Morgan Chase Institute, which has access to transaction and account summary data for over 1 million small businesses. The Institute also found that the average cash buffer was even lower in majority black and majority Hispanic communities. And those communities, those are the same ones where we have learned that small businesses often had a tougher time getting federal bailout loans in the first phase of the Paycheck Protection Program. And again, just to reiterate, that buffer, that 15 days, that's before the pandemic, when things were running as usual. If small businesses today are still paying rent and utilities and employees, or just one of those things, it's hard to imagine that their checking accounts right now have anything more than dust in them. The bottom line, things are probably even worse than they seem, and they seem pretty bad. In 20 seconds, we'll go deeper with Chris Wheat, Director of Business Research for the J.P. Morgan Chase Institute. But first... This BridgeBank knows the ins and outs of business ups and downs and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers and the disruptors, those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank has been dedicated to providing financial solutions to sponsor-backed emerging technology and growth companies for nearly two decades through its national network of banking teams and offices. BridgeBank is a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank, be safe, venture wisely. We're joined now by Chris Wheat, Director of Business Research for the J.P. Morgan Chase Institute. So, Chris, let's start here a little bit pre-pandemic, kind of before March. Generally speaking, how healthy was America's small business community? The small business community, you know, it's super vibrant and we see so many new things coming out of the community and it provides employment for, you know, like half of the American economy. But it's really important to understand that while it does all those things for the U.S. economy, it is to a certain extent quite fragile. Lots of small businesses work on really, really thin cash liquidity margins. They face uncertain cash flows all the time. So it takes a lot of work to make a small business run and grow and to kind of provide all those things to the economy. And it's even before uh, any of these things happened over the past couple of months, it was pretty treacherous for a lot of small businesses. Talk to me about that kind of that low cash buffer. You guys came out with a report, right, that said the typical U.S. small business pre-pandemic only had 15 days of cash buffer. Is that right? Just 15 days? That's right. Like when we look kind of on a day-to-day basis at typically what goes out of a small business is one thing like sort of their checking account or their operating account with the bank. And if you take that dollar amount and compare it to sort of what they typically have on hand, you get to a number that is around two weeks, depending on how you cut it. So if you were to think what were to happen if literally money stopped coming in the door, something we used to treat as kind of a, let's just use this as a way of thinking about this. That what we see and, and what others have more recently seen as well is really that's often somewhere around two weeks. Does that make sense? Because obviously, as you say, we historically never thought the idea that, you know, all restaurants would be closed or all hotels or other small businesses would be closed. That was never really in our thinking as a possibility. Obviously, you would rather have three weeks than two weeks and four weeks than three, et cetera, et cetera. But from a general health perspective, is two weeks reasonable or was that kind of a warning sign in itself? 
I have thought about that as a warning sign because as the current moment is showing, you, you never really know what's going to happen. And in some sense, like you wouldn't want to like keep a huge amount of cash in the business. That means you're not deploying it against building assets or growing the business in other ways. And I think particularly as the economy was growing over the last six years, that was one way to look at this. It was like, well, they're just managing their cash super efficiently. Now, I've always thought that that was hard to imagine as a small business owner, you got to run your business. Being that attentive and having that kind of responsivity always felt a little unlikely to me. And it always felt like it was a little bit thin. When something goes wrong, you can cut expenses, right? Like you can start spending less and you can drag that out for longer than 15 days, maybe, but it's not a whole lot. Just to dig into the numbers a little bit more, explain to me, you found some interesting discrepancies and ones I don't completely understand or why they exist. So for example, you guys found that the average businesses in certain cities like uh, Seattle and San Francisco, they had more, call them cash buffer days than say did businesses in Atlanta and Orlando. Why certain cities more than others, which seems to go across type of business? It is an interesting question. And, and some of that might have to do with things like how much of a service industry do you have? You know, sort of in restaurants and retail, we tend to see the cash buffer days being lower and sort of more like a high-tech services or high-tech manufacturing, we seem being a bit higher. Honestly, like most cities like still have a lot of restaurants and a lot of dry cleaners. The typical small business isn't driven so much, particularly by the high-tech sector. Expect that to see, to push the numbers around at least a little bit. What I would draw attention to is as much as you see those differences like across cities, within cities, I think you see much, much bigger differences. Like neighborhood to neighborhood is where you see just huge going from maybe five, six, seven cash per days to more like 20, 30 days in some neighborhoods. Is that based on type of business within those neighborhoods? Is it based on other demographics, either economic, racial, et cetera, within the cities when you say neighborhood to neighborhood? What do you explain causing those discrepancies? Well, I don't know if it's causal, but when we did try to say, well, what's kind of going along with this anyway, it definitely had to do with things like what is the racial composition of the neighborhood? Home values, what I'm thinking about it is like sort of what is the underlying financial position of the business owners, right? Like to the extent that you as a business owner have more money to put a little bit more in there. A very strong correlate was the typical home value in the zip code, share of people who have college degrees, all of those things that sit right between kind of what you might think about as a characteristic of a household and the characteristics of a small business, because so many of these small businesses are so tightly bound up in their households. Like those things really drive that number around a lot, much more than the differences that we saw between cities. When we talk about this average 15-day cash buffer, that's based on you know where we were in January, where we were in February, kind of normal business operations. Obviously, that's not where we are today. Do you guys have any sense? You hear this talked about all a lot. You know, is my local restaurant, barbershop, or whatever going to reopen once it's allowed to, or is it just going to shutter for good? Do you guys have a sense on how many businesses you expect or what percentage of your small businesses you expect to actually return when they are allowed to return? It is a great question. And is I'm looking at my other screen here, right? It's it's definitely what we're like working on right now as we start to have access to the more recent data to really try to answer that question. We did look and it's comparable, but even increasingly you can see how it's not the same. After uh, Harvey and Irma, we did take a look to see for that relatively short-term disruption what happened. And yeah, we saw cash balances drop, right? And, and that was like a in terms of how long could you not run a business, particularly in Miami, where the storm didn't actually have as much of a physical impact as it did in, in Houston. You know, you saw sort of what I just laid out, right? You saw businesses pull back on their expenses when their revenues dropped, and they weren't able to pull back on their expenses as much as their revenues dropped. But we did see a dip in the cash balances. That came back within a week because in some sense, the disruption was like doors had to be closed because no one could go out because there was a storm for, you know, a few days. And then here, it's just like a whole different world of long-term exposure. And so I think it's a really good question. Like, yeah, my prior is that we're going to see that go down and stay down for longer. 
certainly in terms of the revenue. What is that going to mean for how many businesses close? You know, we don't have data on it yet, but it's definitely one of the things we're really going to look into. Since the data you guys are getting, correct me if I'm wrong here, is mostly coming from kind of the million or so small businesses you guys have, that Chase has as small business banking accounts. Not asking you to talk here about the policy of PPP, but I'm curious, have you seen anything interesting in terms of the inflows into those accounts? Obviously, lots and lots, millions of small businesses across the country have gotten PPP loans. Have you seen anything inside your own data related to that in terms of possible discrepancies between the types of businesses that have and haven't gotten PPP loans? We haven't gotten to that data yet. And you know, I don't know that I'm best informed to speak on sort of exactly what's happening in that policy, other than to say, like, like one of the things that we often try to help people remember, and, and again, we're not the only one to say this, is 30 million small businesses in the US, depending on an account, maybe you sort of cut down to 20 million if you want to rule out some that maybe aren't really you know, sort of operating businesses. But like that's what the number you would get from the census is. Most of those are either non-employers or micro-employers. And sometimes I think people have the wrong idea about what we mean like, oh, that's like somebody sort of half-time consulting out of the house. And they, sure, some of it is that, but you go into a small dry cleaner or something like that. It's not clear that it, my dry cleaner, I see my dry cleaner when I go there. I don't see any other employees in there. And there's like a lot of storefront Main Street businesses that are like a family business with no you know, formal employees or just like one or two employees. If that's how you're setting up, a program that is really structured around payroll protection, which is super important. We also want to think about small business employees. And if you work for a small business, you might not have the kind of supports that you would have if you work a larger business. It was more about, quote, protecting payrolls than necessarily, quote, saving small business, which is kind of some of the rhetoric around it. Totally important. And we really, at the time, quickly needed to figure out, like, what are we going to do to make sure that everybody has some kind of protection? But if you were a small business owner and you were sort of didn't have a whole lot of employees or you were mostly a sole prop, there were some provisions there for that, too, to be clear. But it is a different kind of program you might put in place to also support the business as distinct from its employees. Chris Wheat, Director of Business Research for the J.P. Morgan Chase Institute which apparently internally you guys just called the Institute, which is way cooler. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. My final two right after this. Bridgebank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors, those committed to making the world a better place. Bridgebank has been dedicated to providing financial solutions to sponsor-backed emerging technology and growth companies for nearly two decades through its national network of banking teams and offices. Bridgebank is a division of Western Alliance Bank. Bridgebank, be safe, venture wisely. Now it's time for my final two. And first up is Delaware. No, this isn't about Joe Biden. It's about a court hearing today that will determine whether or not private equity firm the Carlyle Group is allowed to walk away from a $900 million investment in a big corporate travel agency. Why it matters is that this case could determine the fates of dozens of other big corporate mergers and investments that were signed before the pandemic, but which are still pending. Now, both sides here agree that the business in question has been severely damaged. What they disagree on is the remedy. Carlyle believes that something called a material adverse effect, or MAE, has been triggered, and that would let it walk away scot-free. The target company, American Express Global Business Travel, well, they disagree. MAEs in general include all sorts of protections or carve-outs for sellers, and pandemics are often explicitly one of them, but not so in this case. Instead, this deal relies on, quote, national or international political or social conditions. Now, if a judge decides that a pandemic counts under that, then Carlisle's got to do the deal, and likely so would lots of other buyers. But if the judge says that the word, quote, pandemic had to be in there, 
then expect lots and lots of more broken transactions. And finally, multiple reports say that JCPenney could file for Chapter 11 bankruptcy as early as tomorrow morning. It would be the month's third major retail bankruptcy, following J. Crew and Neiman Marcus, but by far the largest, as JCP has nearly 850 North American stores that employed 90,000 people. One thing all three companies do have in common, though, they were in trouble prior to the pandemic, so were much easier to push over the edge. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. It's my producers, Tim Shovers and Naomi Shaven. Have a great national dance like a chicken day. And we'll be back on Monday with another Pro Rata podcast.